Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Jack Letts has been dubbed Jihadi Jack by British media. After he left the UK to travel to Syria, where it's alleged but rejected by his parents, that Jack Letts joined ISIS. Jack Letts has been held in a Kurdish prison since 2017. He's been stripped of his UK citizenship and refused a return to Britain. So his mother and father, his father John, a Canadian citizen, are actively petitioning the Canadian government this week to provide their son due process and an opportunity to come to Canada and, if needed, stand trial for joining a terrorist organization. Jack Letts' remaining citizenship is Canadian. So as I said, Mr. Letts, John Letts, his dad, this week in Canada, is actively petitioning the federal government to allow his son to come to Canada. John Letts and his wife Sally have been charged, were charged, with entering into a funding arrangement for the purpose of terrorism because they sent their son money in Syria. They were sentenced to 15 months in prison, suspended for 12 months. This is my fourth interview since 2018 with John Letts. And John, uh, first of all, what kind of reception are you receiving? Lots of questions for you in this half hour, but what kind of reception are you receiving from the Canadian government to your expressed wish, a desire, that Canada open the door to your son to allow him back into this country as a Canadian citizen and face trial if that's what the country decides? What kind of reception? Well, a completely closed door, I suppose, Roy. I mean, we've had zero contact uh, with the Conservatives. They aren't willing to speak to us. And one, I think, probably quite brave liberal MP has, um, has spoken to us. Um, we've had a few members of the NDP speak to us, and Elizabeth May from the Greens, but the reception is pretty frosty. On the other hand, civil society groups are very interested in speaking to us, Amnesty International and some other civil liberties groups who are able to see beyond the um, the media stories that have been put out. So overall, I do feel optimistic um, that we're making some inroads, but um, nothing from the government. I mean, I just want to have a chat. I want five minutes with them to try to explain why, how the media has has distorted this, including our own trial, by the way. Um, but you now we get nothing. If you don't talk to someone, they can't uh, make a fair decision, I think. There's something I want to say here, and I want you to address this, please, and then we'll get on to the other questions. And I think it's germane to the entire issue. Foreign Affairs Canada was in communication with you while your son was in custody, uh, was being held by the Kurds. There was communication between you and Foreign Affairs Canada about your son potentially coming to Canada, correct? Yeah, correct. How far did that go? How far did that go? Well, at at the very beginning, when we approached the Canadians based in London and, and also in Ottawa, they were really supportive. They said, well, any Canadian held abroad is in these conditions is, is yeah, we will help. Um, we'll reach out to the Kurds, et cetera, et cetera. But at that point, uh, the Kurds were making it very clear that Jack was, well, they called him a hero because he'd stood against ISIS. So it was a very different story. So they, they thought it was fine. So they said, we're going to help you. We're going to send people to get him. Well, they didn't actually say that. They said, stand by because we're going to find ways of, of bringing him back or getting him to the U.K., 
Uh, and I know that there was a very high-level meeting held um, in Iraq to discuss returning all the Canadians who were there. And then at one point, and we never quite figured out why, but I suspect it's when the British got involved, when, when, they, when they started to hand, when, when the Kurds offered to hand Jack over to the British to have him sent back to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, the shutters came down, and then the messaging we've had ever since from uh, Global Affairs is, it's just we have no consular access. It's too dangerous. It's basically exactly what the British line is. So, so um, John, when I put together Jack Letts and these component parts, and they're all headline stories, your son's name is a headline, Jack Letts, Jihadi John, ISIS, no, Canada. Let me finish. John, when I put okay. those words together, the immediate response from people who are asked whether your son should come to Canada is no. Yeah, I, I fully understand. It, it all depends on the phrasing government. You just this is why I'm asking you to address that. Yes, I, I'd love to. Go ahead. Um, well, you could just use the word Jihadi John instead of Jihadi Jack. Jihadi John. Sorry, is, sorry, John. Well, I, I heard just Jihadi said Jihadi John. Jack. Yeah, go ahead. That's certainly what some of the MPs who stood up in the House condemning him, they confused Jack with this Jihadi John who despicable thing. Yes, yes. That's horrible. But, you know, that word jihadi is very, very loaded. And it was invented by a, a Sunday Times journal. But when, you're, when your son is associated with ISIS, and then the question is, or the, 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 the point is made, that John Letts is in Canada today, this week, trying to persuade the Canadian government to open the doors to Canada to Jack Letts, who, you know, the story is, was associated with ISIS. And your son gave a BBC interview, and he said he's not innocent. He wanted to engage in a suicide bombing in a car. It's hard to make an argument that he didn't join ISIS. People hear that, and they say, how can, how can he possibly say that he didn't join ISIS? If all of that was true, Roy, I'd be feeling the same way they do. But if you want me to try to counter it, I, I need a second to try to, sure. to address that. Sure. Go ahead, John. I mean, it goes way back to even your introduction. I mean, we want to talk about our trial. What you said from our trial is actually not correct. You know, you know I'm, I'm so deeply grateful, as you know, to even be on your program. But I do relish the idea of trying to change a few um, facts that, are, that are, are accepted as facts. They're not facts. Sure. Go ahead. Um, well, for example, in our trial, we were actually found not guilty of, of sending money to Jack. We never sent any money to Jack, right? Jack never got any money from us. We went to the police for help to help him get out. We spoke to the British police. They said, this is horrible, and yeah, it's terrible. And we said, look, we are the ones who tried to get him back, and we said, we'll hand him to the British police. And, when it, and, and they said, yes, yeah, send him a 1,000 pounds, which is about $2,000. And when we tried to do that, they arrested us. And when it went to court, we were in the highest court of the land in the Old Bailey in the UK, and we were found not guilty of sending money for the purposes of terrorism, because they said two things. One, he was being chased by ISIS. He was put on trial by ISIS. He stood against ISIS. He said quite clearly, I disagree with their creed, that they're not the right type of Muslim. This is wrong. Plus, the police had said they could send the money. But there was three years earlier, my wife sent 378 Canadian dollars to a refugee family in Lebanon. That's true. And that's what they said, oh, well, there was a risk that there was reasonable cause to suspect that some of the funds that you sent to Lebanon could theoretically have been used for terrorism. So we were found not guilty of the main charges, but that third charge, absolutely correct. They said that could theoretically have been used for terrorism, never got to Jack. 
So I never sent a penny to Jack. And I can tell you right now, Roy, I would never send a penny to my son if I suspected he was involved with anything like that. I would never have done that. Okay, so I have to take a break here. But can you, in just one minute, tell me what makes you so unequivocally sure that your son never joined ISIS? You haven't talked to him well, for a I year, right? Well, I and say, show me some unequivocal evidence that he did, because that interview is the only bit of what people are claiming is evidence. That interview with BBC, and there was one with ITV. Now, we've gone over that with a fine-tooth comb. That was done with a pistol on his head. I mean, to me, evidence obtained under torture is not reliable. I think anyone in the military... Lawyers, they all know that if you torture someone, they're going to say everything you want. And Jack told the only lawyer who's ever been allowed in there, remember, he's never been charged with any offense. The Kurds at the beginning said he was a hero who worked against ISIS, not fighting, but by talking, and he was never been charged. And so, you know, if he's charged, prove some evidence. But so, so this video was obtained after torture. I mean, he's held in a cage. He's tried to kill himself. You know, they're malnourished. They're, they're put in, he's terrified of electricity. All of this has come out. And GAC, sorry, Global Affairs, knew all about this almost four years ago. Uh, John, your son never lived in Canada. He has Canadian citizenship because of you and the fact that you're Canadian. His British citizenship was revoked, and the U.K. does not want your son back in the country Explain that to us, please, and why should Canadians, why, why should Canadians listening to this program right now, and I don't doubt that you love your son, you're a father, why should Canadians have empathy for your son, or for you, or for your wishes? Why? I don't know what of those seven questions I should answer first, but my wife and I are both Canadian. My wife came to Canada when she was a child, so we're all Canadians. The first thing I did was run to the embassy and register Jack. I didn't have the money to come for extended long holidays. I was working. I've been a farmer and other things in, in Britain. And it was difficult. So we came over as often as we could on holidays. I think Jack is as Canadian as, I don't know, a third of the country isn't born in Canada. So I think he's he's Canadian. I mean, you know, if you, if you, we always used to say he was three quarters Canadian because his mother was half and I was full. So he very much identified with Canada, but yeah, you know, I think I'm a, I have a British passport now. I'm a dual citizen. The fact that I live in the UK doesn't, I think, take away the fact that I'm still very Canadian. If you want to have this conversation in French, I can do that too. So I don't have a problem with any of that. And and I think that uh, the plan was always for us all to come back to Canada. That was the plan as I got a bit older and the boys wanted to come back. So I'm I'm not too worried about his identity there. His British citizenship, I'll tell you how that was stripped. Um, we were sitting in the kitchen having a cup of tea, and uh, there was a, a bang on the door, and a motorcycle courier showed up and threw a package, literally hit me in the, in the face with it, and drove off. And we opened it, and it said, Jack, you're no longer British. And that's it. They just banish you based on a secret decision made by a SIAC committee, which you have no representation on. And Jack's, of course, locked in solitary confinement in a cell. So how are we going to speak for him? How is he going to defend himself? Would, would, the British, would the British government not have the means to assess whether I, your sorry, son Jack became a member of ISIS, John? I, I couldn't. The phone, I'm sorry. Can I ask you to repeat the question? Yeah. Would the British government not have the means to assess whether your son, in fact, became a member of ISIS? And whether his, and you say he, the, the, the interview was done with a gun to his hand, but Ed, wouldn't the British government have the ability to assess the veracity of the entire situation? Yes, I think they would definitely have the 
capacity and so did the Canadian government. But I think history shows that uh, people do get tortured in those areas, and that's certainly starting to come out now with the, with the Kurds. And I think anybody would accept that in the past these types of uh, abuses happen in prison camps where there's the Red Cross isn't even allowed in. I have not even heard from Jack in a year. Uh, to be honest, Roy, I don't know he's even alive. Um, I don't know if his brain is still intact. The, the, the information coming out is that all these prisoners are being drugged. You know, I, I have no idea what's going on, but I can tell you there are abuses in these prisons in these camps in the Middle East. Okay. I, I don't think anybody would question that. And th- there's no doubt. I mean, well, he, the only two people who have ever been in to see him is a conservative British MP, and Clive Stafford-Smith is a very respected human rights lawyer set up a group called Reprieve. And they both said, as soon as the guard left the room... He leaned over to, to Clive and said, I'm saying what they tell me to say, and I know what will happen if I don't say it. Okay, let me read and you something. he was questioned in what they called the torture room. Now, to me, you know, he doesn't have access to a lawyer. He doesn't have access to medical treatment. How can you, what do I need to tell? Yeah. What do I need to show to prove I, I understand, John, I understand what you're saying, but people are going to respond and say, well, he made his way voluntarily to Syria. And, and, but let me just read you something from the Crown Prosecution Service online in the UK. A married couple from Oxford have today, 21 June, been found guilty of sending money to their Daesh-supporting son in Syria and sentenced to 15 months imprisonment, suspended for 12 months. So that's from the British Crown Prosecution Service. Yeah, and we have a legal challenge to them to try to change that messaging because the judge himself said that this is these people are not terrorists. You know, they were ne- never supported anything like that. The claim that he's a Daesh supporter, I have no doubt, Roy, he went, clearly, he went into Syria and he's a Muslim. Now, it's like, what can I, what would be convincing evidence for anybody that he wasn't involved? What would I need to show? I don't know what I could. He's a Muslim and he went to Syria. But, you know, a lot of people went to Syria. If, you know, if Christians go to help in the disaster zone, nobody questions it. If Muslims go to Syria to try to help after a civil war where there are 10 million refugees and millions of people killed, well, everyone says, well, they must have gone because they're terrorists. Well, you know, I would like to question my son about all that. All I know is that I know he went to study in Kuwait, and then he winds up in Syria. I have a lot of questions, but I also know that he phoned us regularly and, and said, I'm the same. I don't, I'm not involved with any of this crap. And, you know, and he said very clearly, you know, actually, it's very interesting. I don't think I've ever told you this one. What I find really, what I find really interesting is that our foreign affairs department, federal foreign affairs department, was in touch with you, and actually communicated with you about your son Jack coming to Canada, then suddenly stopped. I'd like more information on that, and uh, there, there's there, that's an open-ended situation that deserves more more explanation. How do you? And we have a minute here, John. How do you expect this reality, this situation, your mission to Canada? How do you realistically expect it to conclude? Well, I'd like, I think it will only be about legal action and public pressure. We have an action going through to the federal court. I, I believe in the Canadian Constitution, and I believe in our Charter of Rights, and I also believe in our security services. You know, there are four men and, and loads of kids and some women, and, uh, you know, I, I think we can probably assess those who are guilty and those who are not. You know, what if he is innocent? Is it really okay to keep a Canadian detained. He's been in prison now for five years without any charges against him. What if he is innocent? Is that okay for Canadians to be kept that way? Do we expect our government to at least 
check to see he's not being tortured, check to see he's alive. I, I'd love them to tell me if he's alive or not. You know, I think the Canadian government, as a Canadian, I expect the government to help me a little bit. I don't look for everything, but, um, you know, and he made a choice, as you say, but it's a stupid choice. He was 18, he had quite bad OCD, which many people have, and he was trying to be the best Muslim he could be. I do not believe he joined ISIS. He's repeatedly said he was against their creed. They right. put him on trial three times, um, and, and he said, I don't, I have I don't to, accept your system. John, I have to stop here because of the clock. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.